I'm Sheila Cagill, and this is Communicate Influence, the show where I talk to thought leaders and subject matter experts in communications, marketing, and writing about the influences shaping our industries. This week's episode is all about newsletters. So before I introduce my guest, I invite you to sign up for my weekly newsletter for podcast updates, industry news, recommended reads, and more. Sign up by going to my site, Communicate Influence, and clicking on the special offer pop-up where you'll get a free ebook guide to podcast marketing. Alternatively, fill out the form on the homepage. Next, I'm saying thanks to Clyde Hearn in Cork, Ireland, for her support in buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. This week, I talked to copywriter Tyler McCune, who specializes in writing email newsletters for clients. Tyler has studied the art and science of newsletter writing very closely. He talks about the importance of knowing your audience, developing relationships with readers, and how to write way better newsletters. And Tyler has a really generous offer for our listeners. If you sign up for his newsletter and tell him you came from this podcast, he'll critique your newsletter for free. You can find his website address in our show notes. And now, a message from our sponsor. I'm Kevin from Kef Technology Consulting, and I'm excited to sponsor this episode of Communicate Influence. Kef is a full-service web and business technology consultancy specializing in end-to-end web and e-commerce solutions. Visit kef.ca to schedule a free initial consultation. That's kef.ca. Hi, Tyler. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So you, uh, you're a copywriter, but you specialize in email newsletters. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Tyler, and, and how you got into the focus on email newsletters. Yeah, so it's it's interesting because when you have to tell a story, the first step is often like where to start the story. And um, actually, my story of how I got here began quite young because I was always the kid who just loved books, loved stories. I wrote like my own mystery, um, I guess, novel series. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they're only a few pages each, but uh, when I was like very young. So I've always had a love of writing and reading, and over the years, it just kind of became more ingrained. Like, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to use my writing skills, and I want to tell stories that make people happy and just be able to to read and, and write. And so I went to school and studied creative writing in English and journalism and all, all those sorts of different things about, like, you know, just different types of writing. And then graduated school, did the typical, like, oh, my God, I just graduated. I have no idea what I really want to do with my life. And sort of quite frankly, bummed around for a few years. I worked as like a farmer in Northern California. I was breeding reptiles for um, like a family friend, worked in a factory. I did various construction jobs. And after a while of doing that, it was just kind of like, oh man, I got to find something that I can really focus on and build a career in. And uh, my mom's friend actually gave me a book about copywriting. And quite frankly, it wasn't that great of a book about copywriting. Like I didn't teach you any of the skills. But it basically sold me on the idea of, wow, I could work from home and write and have a career and hang out with my dog all day. And so it's just been a very slow process since then of really figuring out like, wow, this whole copywriting marketing thing is fascinating. It's all about 
um, psychology and symbols, a lot of the same things that we use in mythology and literature, which has always fascinated me. So um, yeah, and, and then so I just you know did various types of copywriting, working with various types of clients, and sort of uh, stumbled upon email and this very conversational style of email that really is one of the more creative styles of copywriting, in my opinion. And so I've kind of dove into that. What excites you about emails and newsletters? And you know what, what kind of tactics do you use to make them interesting? One of the cool things about email newsletters is it's, and I'm not the first one to say this, but it's more of like a talk radio show. So if you're, if you're you know, driving traffic from a Facebook ad to a long form sales page, it's really important that you like hit them in the face. Like this is why, this is your problem. This is how I'm going to help you solve your problem. You need to take action on this right now. But if you have someone who opted into your list and say you don't mail daily like me, say you mail twice a week, then you have many, many options to sort of build that relationship. And so it's more about building the relationship and instead of selling the product, it's really selling them on yourself. And I think that's what lights me up about email marketing is it's more it's more realistic or it's more like real life, like to use the dating analogy, which is used all the time. It's it's more like that. Like first you kind of approach the person, then you might have an opening line, and then you ask them out on a date, and then you go on another date, and then you know, years down the road you can get married. Um, that's really what lights me up. And another thing that I think is really cool is it's it's very topical. Like um you know, tomorrow or this weekend, I ha- I'm planning on writing about QAnon because QAnon is big in the news right now. And um, as far as tactics to make it more interesting, that's really one of the, the tactics you can use is just talk about topical things. Talk about the movies that your audience is seeing or the music they like to listen to. And you really want to think of it more as an entertainment media platform than you do like a sales platform. Obviously, you you want to mix those. You're always wanting to make sales. But it's really like you want people tuning in like, wow, I really want to know what Sheila has to say today more than, oh, I'm going to read a sales pitch. So it, it kind of, that, that's really interesting. It's kind of as though you, 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 your take on email newsletters is like it's a really intimate and personal medium and you can use it to almost like corresponding with someone the way people used to have pen pals years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And actually just today I had a... Um, a, a copywriter cr- critiques of my copy, and um, so if if you write your own copy, it's super useful to get someone to look at it, even if they're like not necessarily a better copywriter than you. Just having an, an outside observer, and one of the things he said, which a lot of people tell me, is like, "Man, I feel like I'm just sitting at the bar with you having a conversation." And um, yeah, to your point about being pen pals, people will email me and say, "Hey, man, I really love this email," and we will become pen pals. So it's 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 a very intimate sales medium, as you said. And it, again, it really is about like 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 the way you said that is perfect. If you think about it that way, like you're just writing to your pen pal and you're trying to entertain them and say, "Hey, maybe you want to buy this thing." You'll you'll stand out in the inbox over everyone else who's just pitching. Mm. So, Tyler, would you say that that's your secret sauce and the the thing that a lot of uh, authors of email newsletters are missing? They don't kind of take advantage of the potential for intimacy and real human connection. Yeah, I mean, I wish I could say it was my secret sauce, but I, I really didn't uh, create any of this. Um, a lot of this comes from, like, originally it comes from a guy named Matt Fury. Ben Settle has kind of taken that and run to it to the next level. And there's a lot of people who write emails like I do, quite frankly. So I, I can't say um, 
it's my secret sauce, but I will say, I mean, like I think one of the, the things why people enjoy my emails and why I get clients is because I do take that approach. Now, it's very interesting. I think that um, you, you and I, we've, we've corresponded a fair bit since we connected and uh, we've talked about newsletters and, and styles of writing uh, a lot in the last couple of weeks. And we've discovered that we we have like really different um, a different focus and different needs for newsletters. Like I'm kind of into these newsletters that provide a lot of information and links to articles in in my field, like marketing and communications and podcasting. And you look for for something else, don't you? You you know you might look for a sale or a call to action. Can you can you tell us a little bit? about your observations on what we've discussed and how important it is to know your audience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when it comes to marketing or making a sale or asking someone out on a date or or whatever, anytime you're trying to um, encourage people to take an action that you want them to take, it's all about knowing your, your audience. So it's really about knowing what they desire and then how the action you want them to take ties into that desire and then making the link very clear for them so it's a no-brainer that they take action. And um, yeah, so, so I, I, yeah, you, you showed me some of the email newsletters you like. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, like, like I just find for me, cause I, and part of it is I, scri- I subscribe to a lot of email newsletters, is I'd rather have very unique voices that are, again, focused on entertaining me rather than just giving me more information. So it's not like one way is right or wrong. And to your point, like I, yeah, I wouldn't be the right person to hire for a lot of companies because their audience isn't looking for what I'm offering. That being said, if people go on my website and look at my blog, which is um, all the emails that I've sent to my list that I, I go up and upload there, um, I like I've had this where clients are like, "Oh, I wanted to hire you, but like your voice and your daily emails isn't the same as my voice." And I was like, "Well, yeah, because uh, it's, it's not you." So a big part of any copywriter's job. And for anyone hiring copywriters, be really careful is if they're not asking you a ton of information about your audience and your voice and trying to perfect that, then, um, you know, I would, I would maybe not hire them. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's all about knowing your audience and knowing what they find compelling. But I'm quite sure that you can, you know, based on your client, you can change your voice. Is that true? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've gotten testimonials from people who are like, wow, you nailed my voice. Um, I mean, that's, it's really part of the art of copywriting. And honestly, it's not such a mechanical thing as like, it doesn't come when you write. It really comes from the research. Understanding the audience and understanding the client's voice all comes from the research. I'm curious about about that, Tyler. How do you um, approach new clients or when they approach you? Tell us about the questions that you ask and the research that you do. Yeah, sure. And I think we're going to have a sheet to to send your readers, right? So I can definitely put some of those questions on there. The first step is I send them a, a quite a detailed questionnaire. I mean, um, it, you know, it usually takes them at least an hour usually to to fill out. And some of the questions I ask them are, you know, just more general questions. Tell me about your audience. Um, what is the major pain point that your product solves? How did you think up your product? What does your best customer say about your product? What do your worst customers say about your product? Why do people refund? Um, what are the most common objections? And so that sort of stuff can really help me start understanding the customer and why they're buying, which again is, is the most important thing to know. If you know why people are buying, it's very easy to reproduce that. And probably the most important question you can ask is, what else are they buying? 
Um, you know, you can like say you sell to dentists. What else are dentists buying to solve X problem? And how are those people selling it to the dentists? And I'm not saying you should just go copy them, but once you know how they did it, you can sort of um, create that in your own way. And as far as voice, a lot of it just honestly comes from me having a conversation with them. Um, I usually do an hour, two hours minimum for every new client, record the call, listen to it a few times, get it transcribed. And I actually just pull words and phrases straight from the transcript. And that's kind of like a secret that a lot of copywriters use. And like the clients will be like, oh my God, this sounds just like me. And I'm like, well, yeah, you, you said that. <laughs> yeah. So it's quite simple, but it, it's something that might not be obvious, particularly to your clients. Yeah, absolutely. I think marketing and copywriting is quite simple, especially if you're not, you know, competing against the top copywriters where they're split testing and every, you know, every, um, every percentage point counts. But, you know, like, like I like to think of it as like kids. If you watch kids, they are super persuasive. And I think we all have that element, but we cover it up. So if you look at a kid, he might go to his, his mom and say like, mom, you know what would make me happy? Because <laughs> he knows that's what his mom wants is to make him happy. So I think we all have, do have this um, persuasive element to us, but we, we tend to cover it up. Mm. Well, it's, it's a little bit like a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because, you know, it's one thing to be persuasive, but uh, you have to, in whatever environment you're in, you have to be careful that you're not coming across as manipulative. You know, you can't go to your boss and say, oh, you know, what would make me happy? That leather chair that I saw in the Staples catalog and the, and the new Dell laptop, you know, so, yeah. Right, but that's because your boss wouldn't, I mean, this is going to sound bad, but your boss doesn't care if you're happy in a way. What your boss probably cares about is productivity. So if you could say, hey, boss, I, I read this article and it says that when, you're, uh, when you have comfortable chairs, it boosts your customer or your uh, employees productivity 10% then they might start taking you seriously because again you're tying together what they want and what you want and you're and you're and you're showing them the connection between those two. yeah and I mean taking that point seriously I'm I don't think you know in terms of sales I don't particularly like to feel that there's something slightly manipulative that's uh, you know going on when I'm checking out a product or the you know the salesperson isn't thinking about what my needs are because you know fundamentally that makes a good sale isn't it when they're actually addressing your needs and the issues that you have and not just trying to um, shove off any product or whatever onto you because they've got a target to fill yeah absolutely I think um, there's a copywriter named Clayton Makepeace who unfortunately just passed away not too long ago and I was listening to a speech he gave and he said, first you sell the relationship and then you sell the product. And if you really think of it that way, if you focus on selling the relationship or, you know, you, you could like a lot of copywriters will um, say like, if I was going to sell this to my mother, what would I say? And again, like you're, to your point, you wouldn't use some manipulation tactics. Like if you don't buy this, you'll never get the option again. Um, you, you would just be like, Hey mom, like, there's this, like, I know you have this problem and I, I found this thing that will help you solve this problem. Like if, if you do, are you interested in it? So it's really a mindset shift. Um, I think we've been conditioned to not like salesmen because we think of like the cheesy car salesman or something, but I really view sales as a service. And I, I really take the approach, like everyone on my list, their time is very valuable. And, um, you know, I, I want to add value to their life every single day, whether or not they buy my product. And quite frankly, most people on my list um, aren't even 
you know, going to hire me because they're either, they're either copywriters themselves and they just want to learn more about copy through my emails or, you know, whatever. They're just there because they enjoy my emails. So I know a very small percentage of people on my list are actually viable clients. And I'm still trying to, um, you know, serve those people and add value to those people's lives because that's, that's how you build like a brand is you, is you keep on building, adding value, entertaining people, selling their relationship. I would imagine that you're evaluated by the number of uh, opens that you get, the the click-through rates and the open rates. Or is it more than that? Is it more complex? Are you evaluated by sales as well that your newsletters generate? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's simpler. Um, I mean, people do make a big deal about open rates and click-through rates. Generally, those are valuable pieces of intel, but... Yeah, everything must fit together. So if you read an email and you get whatever an eighty percent open rate and a super high click through rate, but you're say you don't make any sales, then it doesn't really matter. So it can be useful to to track that stuff. And to, I mean, it, you should keep a close eye on it, in my opinion. But really, the only thing that that really matters at the end of the day is sales. And that sounds quite uh, pressurized. How do you how do you handle that? I mean, do you kind of um set to your task each day and think, well, I've got to really produce something brilliant because, you know, if I, if this company, this client isn't getting sales, I'm out of work. How do you, how do you manage the whole process or your, your attitude and your outlook? Yeah. Well, I mean, first it is important to remember that I don't work with clients who are like in make it or break it mode just because I mean, usually those clients can't afford my fees, but also it's, like usually I work with clients who already have a converting offer. So they're already making sales and they either don't want to write their own copy anymore or they're like, you know, if a, if a professional copywriter came on, I could double this or triple this. But it's generally like a proven offer to an audience who know, who's receptive to that offer. Um, that being said, yeah, I mean, it is, <laughs> it is you know, you're always taking other people's business uh, into your own hands. And... So one of the things that I, I do, I actually have a writing altar. I learned this from one of the best copywriters of all time, Marcella Allison. I actually got to meet her and um, give her a hug, which was like, it totally made my day. Um, but I, I, have a, I have a writing altar. I have, um, so I actually do, I am quite into Buddhism and meditation. So I kind of combine <laughs> this, uh, this idea from Buddhism. But yeah, I have an altar. I have these sort of vows that I say about writing. And yeah, every morning I kind of acknowledge my altar. I have things on there that are meaningful to me that compel me to want to do better work. And it's just about the mindset. Like, um, yeah, like like you said, like this is this this has to work. If this doesn't work, then my clients are gonna you know lose money. They're gonna be mad at me. They're gonna fire me. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't feel like the pressure like you're making it sound, but there is it is important to have that mindset. Yeah, no, that really resonates with me. You know. One of the things that's really obvious, Tyler, is that with your experience and everything that you know, your newsletters are being read. That's a basic thing. What about people who are just starting out? How how do they get their newsletters read? And why is it so important to get your email newsletters read? As far as how to get your email newsletter open if you're brand new, I mean, you just got to do what every other copywriter does. You got to you got to suck for a while and you got to read all the books and you got to look at good copy, follow some email news, um, some email copywriters you like and kind of like study with their stuff and be like, wow, I really like this email. What are they doing? Maybe they send one that you don't like as much. Well, why don't I like that one as much? And yeah, you just really got to study practice. I would say write every single day 
Um, try to read stuff that your competitors aren't reading. If everyone just reads the same copywriting books, then everyone's just going to have the same style and be saying the same things. But yeah, there's really no secret trick. It's just you got to suck for a little while, mm. unfortunately. So just keep at it. Practice. I'm an advocate of reading a lot. It's amazing the number of writers who who don't read. And I think reading is essential if you want to improve your writing. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and maybe you mentioned earlier you have a friend or a colleague who reads your work. I would say that's important too. get it evaluated um, quite often to see, you know, what what's working and what's not working with people. Yeah. That's probably one of the best. And that's probably the fastest way um, to get better is just to have a really good copywriter look at your stuff. And if you can't get a really good, I mean, you can hire copywriters to do this. Um, but if you, if you can't afford it or whatever, then yeah, just ask like a friend, ask your, your mom or your boyfriend or whatever, just ask someone and say, Hey, does this resonate with you? And of course you have to keep it in mind. If you give it to like your, you know, your, your boyfriend or girlfriend and they're not your market, they might not be able to give you the best feedback, but still you could ask them like, where did it get confusing? Where did you kind of lose interest? Mm. Yeah. It depends what you're asking for. If you're asking just for, you know, a spell check or, you know, check the punctuation, you'll, you'll get some feedback, but in terms of it, you know, convincing or speaking to you as a potential client, uh, you might need to send it to someone else. So it's picking the right people, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. The best thing you can do is get a, um, either a copywriter who knows your industry to do it or, um, yeah, like get someone who's a potential client, or if you have a good relationship with like a customer or client, um, you could ask them to do that too. Sure. Now, you, you've told us that you do subscribe to a lot of newsletters, which makes perfect sense. And because of that, you must also be seeing mistakes in newsletters, you know, either from other copywriters or from um, big, indus uh, big businesses who are sending them out themselves. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that you're seeing? In, uh, in in newsletters or when clients are writing for themselves? Yeah, I would say the biggest mistake is to be boring. And again, being not being boring doesn't mean, you know, telling jokes or being silly. It just means knowing what is interesting to your audience. So yeah, so that, that's probably the most, <laughs> the number one uh, mistake I see. Another mistake I see is talking about benefits that your audience doesn't really want or just sending straight sales pitches. So I'm sure we've all been on people's lists and really big companies' lists too, where they don't like. I think we had a conversation, and you said something like, "Well, I don't like it when people have a, a they pitch in every single email." And really, a big part of the art is combining the entertainment and the valuable information in with the sales pitch. And this is like copywriting 101. Really, this isn't anything new. It actually comes from the world of direct mail, which most people call junk mail. And you've probably gotten this where it looks like a magazine and you flip it open and on page three, they're like trying to sell you a newsletter or a book. And if you read those, I mean, it's really amazing because they're just giving away information. Like they'll just, they'll just have pieces of information there that you're like, this doesn't have anything to do with like buying the product, but they're just trying to demonstrate that they're knowledgeable and that they're going to give you valuable information. So uh, those are called Magalogs. I don't know, like I have a big swipe file of those that I've just found over the years, but if anyone can get their hands on them from like companies like Boardroom or Bottom Line, for example, I mean, those are just gold to study because those that's really where like this style of copywriting originated. In, in mm. Yeah, there's one that I pick up. Um, it's not really a great example, but I noticed a couple of pet stores are really good at that. They give away this free free magazine 
uh, when you leave. And I've had that same impression that you've just described. You know, there's all this information on, you know, behavior problems or dealing with ticks now that it's summer or Lyme disease, that kind of thing, and the the product, et cetera. And the sales message is very cleverly woven in. You know, I don't even realize that I'm being sold to. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you could, I mean, that you could take that same exact, if you, if you sold in the pet niche, you could just take that and use that as an email, you know, um, like top five ways to, to kill fleas during the summer. And then one of the ways is your product. And obviously you want to make it very clear that your product is the best of those five ways. And you know, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but that is exactly the model. Mm. What you just described. Uh, Looking a little bit more closely at content, and you've you've touched on not being boring, which makes uh, perfect sense. Where exactly does humor fit? What kind of humor can you use without going overboard? Or does it depend very much on the product and the client? Yeah, absolutely. It really depends on the market and your personality. And, you know, when you do daily emails or, or kind of the conversational style emails that I, I do, I mean, you're, you're not trying to get anyone. The idea is really to find people who resonate with your personality and get really, really good buyers. So instead of people, someone just buying once from you, you know, they're going to be a customer for life because you've sold that relationship. So yeah, I, I think humor, there's no rule of thumb. I will say that almost everyone, like I've never met anyone who hates humor. And so I don't see um, I mean, obviously, if you're like, I'm going to be writing some Facebook ads. Um, it's like, I, won't, I, won't, I don't want to talk about it, but it's, it's, it's like, it's basically selling to people with depression. And it's like this very innovative um, treatment that's like just spreading across America. Um, it's actually using psychedelics to treat depression. And so I probably wouldn't make a joke in those Facebook ads, right? Mm, well, that makes sense. It's a sensitive issue, isn't it? If, if you can use humor, it really lets people's guards down because not usually when you hear a sales pitch, it's not like, hey, man, can I tell you a joke? So yeah, I think if you can use humor and you're naturally funny <laughs> and you know what your prospects will find funny, then then use it. If you're not funny, um, you know, maybe maybe that's something you could practice. And some of my colleagues have said to me, oh, you know, I really, I really don't like it when there are mistakes in newsletters or mistakes in copy and I, I you know I, I don't like contractions or I do and you know we talked about using the word instead of going to gonna you know that kind of thing what's your take on that Tyler I mean do you, you do you pick it with the client do you pick when you'll use contractions or shorten words to you know colloquialisms or do you always write in a business writing style yeah I very much don't write in a business straightforward business writing style that being said, I've worked with um, like one of my first clients. He was a sales trainer, and he had clients like Google and Adobe. So obviously, for him, I'm not going to write gonna. But for my own, because I do have sort of a Southern California slang, where all all kind of you know blend words and stuff, it really makes sense for me. But as far as um, working with the client, yeah, it really depends how the client talks. So if the client has very orderly <laughs> uh, speech then I'll, I'll kind of model it based on that. But I really wouldn't be too concerned about mistakes in copy as long as it's comprehensible. I find, you know, I write a daily email, so it's not like I have, I don't, I don't proofread it 30 times every day. And I'll go back and be like, oh, I, I misspelled that word there. Or I used a homonym there. And I've never had anyone be like, hey, I didn't buy because of that typo. And there's actually an argument to use typos, which is it actually humanizes you. Um, I know you said it, it kind of bothers you, but I don't think it would necessarily bother you just one once in a while. 
And yeah, I mean, people don't want necessarily someone who's perfect. They like, they have flaws and they want someone with flaws. So I really wouldn't be too concerned with um, little things like that. I would more focus on making sure that you're selling the right offers to the right audience and you're using the right messaging. Those are really the three most important things. If you have the right offer to the right audience with the right messaging, you could have a hand scribbled note on a bar napkin and you could still make it sale. Mm, that's great. No, I mean, typos, if I see one, it's not going to bother me. And in fact, I had a typo in a recent newsletter. I used the, the wrong spelling of peak and one of my friends uh, contacted me and pointed it out. So, yeah. But um, yeah, you know, we all make mistakes. Um, I think if something is has a lot of mistakes and uh, a writer regularly makes mistakes, you, you kind of think, well, hmm, I'm not too sure about this. But, you know, occasionally I, I agree completely. It makes it makes the writer human. It makes the client human. Yeah. And that's important. Yeah. And I, I think um, it's kind of like cussing in a way. Like if someone cusses all the time, it kind of makes me think like, okay, this this dude just doesn't have a big vocabulary. But you know, if you cuss once in a while, then it's like, okay, he or she used that intentionally. So to me, it's it's kind of a similar thing. And and um, yeah, to be honest, I misspell words sometimes on purpose, uh, but it's it's obvious that I'm misspelling them, and it's it's part of the fun. Like sometimes I'll spell blog. B L A W G because that's how it really sounds, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. It, it sounds like more that blog. So like I, I do little things like that. You see, you giggled. So it's kind of fun and it kind of builds like your own unique world that you're inviting them into every day. And yeah, it can be it can be powerful if you do it right. And let's can we just um, change course a little bit, change direction, and touch a little bit on internal communications in in large organizations or even small organizations where you're writing. For an internal organization, uh, employees, that's your audience. And I often feel sorry for, for people who work in communications and have that job because most employees have um, a lot of work. They're probably overwhelmed with email. And yet, you know, a CEO, a member of the C-suite, a manager is saying, you know, get this message out, make sure it's read. What... What advice or thoughts can you pass on to people working in communications in internal comms where, you know, they just want to increase their open rate and the read rate? Yeah, I guess it would depend on the company culture, um, because my first instinct was to say, like, use a little entertainment value. You know, if you have to send out a memo that says, like, I don't know, just just to be a little topical with Corona is like, you have to wash your hands, whatever, every 30 minutes or, or something like that. Instead of the subject line just being like "Hello, employees," you could you could make it fun, like um, what Jerry Seinfeld says about washing your hands or something, and you could just tie it into that. Again, it's it's kind of up to the company culture. I've never worked at a big company, so I don't know how strict they are about those things. But I would say add a little entertainment value. I mean, if I was the CEO of a company, I would want my employees to laugh and to tell jokes and to to be silly. Um, obviously, I would want them to get their work done. But the more people are engaging with entertainment. I mean, humans crave entertainment. It's one of the biggest industries um, around. You know, People stand outside of movie theaters and bookstores for hours at midnight dressed up as Harry Potter to go, to go get that story. So you know, if you could tell stories, if you can you know, tell jokes, be topical, really just want to be interesting and um, entertaining yeah. and not confusing too. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I think that 
in in large organized organizations one of the things that has to has to change is this sense that you know oh we always have to be very serious and write in this business style in our newsletters um you know i think that comms people can be advocates for change on that one and Hopefully that change can uh, touch on newsletters as well. Yeah, and uh, I'll just tell a quick story because I was working with a corporate mindfulness trainer and she had a client who worked for Comcast and that, and she was like the VP of communications for Comcast for like a very large region of Comcast. Like she would basically ran her own company. It was like the VP of communications for a large company basically. And um, she was like the nicest most down-to-earth person I've ever talked to. I was really expecting sort of like a stodgy corporate person, but she was opening up to me, telling me about like the, the problems her kid was having and how mindfulness was helping him. And it was just like having a conversation with someone I would meet at the park. So I really think people are just people. And if you can connect on that deeper human element, then you will be more engaging. And I think a lot of the corporate stuff is just so dry and it, it just makes people feel like they're just a number and they're just in a box. But you know, you can even make a joke like, uh oh, another memo. <laughs> like, I know you don't want to read this, but, you know, I'm sending a memo at 4.30 on a Friday. Like, I know this might anger you or something, but just just connect with them under, you know, use some empathy and and try to put yourself in those that people's shoes. You know, they're sitting at their computer, they're taking calls, they're responding to emails. Like, what would that feel like to get one more memo? And then just try to reverse engineer how you could, you know, get them to open it and read it. Yeah, no, I think that's so true. And it's all those things that, that uh, those traits that are so prevalent right now in both public relations, leadership and, and marketing, um, newsletters and articles, the use of empathy, authenticity and connection. That's, that's what people want. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same thing that like you and I were talking before this and it was, it was kind of like, like we were having a conversation and we were being empathetic and sort of connecting on a human level. And it wasn't like I was trying to get anything out of you or you're trying to get out of me. It's just that's enjoyable for humans. So if you can just think of it as having a conversation with someone and what you do to sort of make it interesting, um, that would absolutely help. And I, I will just say, I, I know you wanted me to give some like more mechanical tips. Um, one of the things that everyone can do is just to make their writing more concise and less confusing. So this is a huge thing in copywriting, but it's it's big in anything. Like I read, I've, I've tr so trained myself to write in these concise, very clear ways that I'll even read like major magazines that, you know, get mailed all over the world. And I'll be like, yeah, this isn't that good at writing. Like this guy could have said the same thing in half as many words. And um, so I would really focus or have everyone just be aware of when you're saying like, there was a lot of people versus there were many people. Just little things like that. It doesn't sound like a big thing, but if you really cut all those words down, you can like half your emails sometimes. And then another thing is people tend to change the subject. So they'll say, you went to the store where I was at or something like that. So like they're using you in the first part of the sentence and I in the second part. And it just kind of confuses people or they'll just jump around. They'll say... Um, I went to the store, um, you know, like checking out. So, th so there's no real, like I'm not using great examples right now, but there's no real connection there. So it'd be better to say like, I went to the store. When I got to the cash register, I checked out. So does that kind of make sense? Like using um, these connecting phrases so people really know where they are at every step so that you don't, you don't lose them. Yeah, exactly. Like the transitional elements of the 
whatever it is you're writing, a transitional sentence, even a transitional word, yeah, those things are so important. And, and making the voice consistent, if you're saying you and then they and we, that I find that confusing. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, in marketing, you should almost always be saying you. You, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't say, oh, to all the people on my list. You always want to be talking to one person. And if you can have a person in mind that is your ideal customer, it's even better. So in terms of that number one tip that people can use to, to make their writing more clear and concise, if you're, if you're in a rush, that can be challenging because you're just focusing on getting the message down. Do you suggest that something be read by someone else? Well, one thing you can do is to read it out loud by yourself. So I do this with every one of my emails. Um, in fact, if I was writing like a very, very important email for a client or like a sales page that would, you know, maybe making sales for the next year or so, I, I would read it out loud like 10 times to myself. And when you read it out loud, you really find all the places where you're being a little confusing or your sentences are going too long or anything like that. So that would I would say that's the number one tip. Um, I mean, if you're in too much of a rush, you might not be able to take the time to do that. But when you do start reading it out loud and you do start focusing on these things, saying things with less words, using transition phrases, you're just going to naturally start to embody this stuff. Like it's just going to be natural. So yeah, I would say I would say definitely everyone should be reading anything they send out loud if it's an important communication. Like I don't do that if I'm just you know, sending a quick note to a client or something. Mm. I think that's true. And I mean, things sound so differently. You know, you think that you're, you're doing a good job and you read it with that voice in your head. But when you read it out loud, it, it sounds completely different. It's kind of fascinating. But yeah, I, I do that a lot. And it, it totally makes a difference. And and these uh, the flow is the first thing, isn't it? If it's it's choppy or bumpy, I notice it immediately. Yeah, absolutely. And I've heard that copywriters... Who are I mean they're they're doing like they're they're doing on a whole different scale than what, what kind of what we're talking about but they'll have um, they'll give it to like a sixth grader and say read this out loud and they'll listen to where the sixth grader stumbles over words or they'll say like tell me where it doesn't make sense and um, because if a sixth grader can understand it then anyone in your audience can understand it now that wouldn't make sense for my audience because I do sell to business owners who are educated and so so on and so forth but I'm just kind of sharing a story of how far people go to make sure their coffee is easy to understand. Mm. And what, um, just before we wrap up, Tyler, what are your favorite online tools? Do you use Grammarly or other things? I mean, Grammarly can be useful. I don't, I honestly don't tend to use it. Um, Again, like I just, grammar is not a huge deal to me. I tend to just focus on more writing and conversational, but yeah, I just use Google Docs. and Aweber, pretty much. I'm a pretty low, much a low tech guy, so um, tend to keep it simple. That's that's cool. Well, I mean, the experience and the practice that you've had, you probably don't need these other tools, whereas some people might. So I can understand that. Yeah. Well, that's a great point. If if you do find yourself making a lot of grammatical mistakes, run it through Grammarly, but don't just run it through Grammarly as like, oh, this is going to fix my problems. Really go through and be like, oh, I made that mistake. You know, I saw, I noticed I made that mistake a lot and focus on that next time. So I think Grammarly is a great tool, but I don't think, I think people tend to rely on it, but it should, again, like copy critiques. Yes, you, you'll, you'll, your copy critique, your critique will, will make that perform better, but ideally the real outcome is that you become a better writer. Which is what everybody should, uh, should be aspiring for if they're in the, in the business of writing newsletters or copywriting. 
And you've got lots of favorite newsletters uh, that you subscribe to. And I'm guessing that you've got lots of books that you uh, really like and go back to to read. So hopefully we'll be able to list some of those in our show notes as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, just to give one book suggestion, it's the best non-copywriting book that really helps you write copy. And um, so it's one that probably a lot of people have read and almost everyone knows of, which is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And it's, you know, it's sold as like a success book, but really all it's about is what we've been talking about. It's like, find out what people want and show them how to get it. And I think if anyone reads that book, ideally they read it three times and on the second and third time, highlight important parts and take notes and, and go review their notes. I almost... I can't imagine anyone um, doing that and not getting much better at writing copy and just honestly being like a happier, friendlier, nicer person because it's just really good. Mm. And you've written your own book as well. I find the title really, really uh, entertaining or funny, I should say, um, because uh, your pseudonym is obviously the email emperor, isn't it? Tell us about your book. Yeah, I'm actually in the process of writing another book. Um, I don't know when it's going to come out, but it'll, it'll be like a, another book sold on Amazon and it's really covering more of the mechanical stuff, some, some of the stuff we talked about, like um, transitions and, and really how, like, how to get your stuff read rather than more of like the persuasion tricks. But yeah, the book you're um, referring to is called Email Emperor, um, how, to, how to Build an Empire, um, Fill Your Coffers and Get Chiseled in Stone Positioning. Even I, I forget it because it's so long. But um, yeah, and, and I've gotten a lot of good feedback on it. People have read it from like all over the world. Uh, I have like a fan in El Salvador who, who always emails me about it. And it is available on Amazon or if people go to my website, um, copybymcune.com, which I'm sure we'll put in the show notes, they can um, get a free copy by down, uh, opting into my list. And if they don't want to opt into my list, um, they can still go to my website and I have some free resources there where they can you know, um, learn a little bit about copy either way. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Tyler. And sorry, did you say when's your new book coming out? Have you finished it? Your second book, is it? Yeah, I, I don't really have like a due date on it. Um, I just have a lot, of, you know, I'm kind of like more focused on my client stuff. I was, I was hoping to get it done a lot sooner, but it's just it's not that important. It's, it's really something more I'm doing for fun. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. But if people get on my list, they'll definitely be notified when it launches. And um, I will make an offer to your, to your audience. If they opt into my list and just email me and say, hey, I, come, I came from Communicate Influence Podcast, I will give them free copy critiques on um, their email newsletters or like a sales page or opt-in page or, or something like that. So if anyone's interested, they can just opt into my list and, and uh, let me know that they found me here. Oh, thanks for that, Tyler. That's great. That's a really generous offer. And I, and I will tell listeners that um, Tyler did a, a critique of my newsletter and uh, I found it very useful. Um, I've, I've already implemented some of the changes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he, you did a little video. You sent it to me. And, uh, yeah, you have to have a little bit of a, a thick skin, but he's very nice in his presentation, aren't you, Tyler? So, yeah. I, I hope so. I, I definitely, in the past, have... Um, bring your Kleenex, that's all. I'm, I'm just kidding. No, you were lovely. Um, and oh, but also very focused and detailed. So it's certainly valuable to have your work critiqued by Tyler. I definitely advocate for that. So it's been great talking to you this evening, Tyler. Um, you're in uh, California, so I know it's probably 
late afternoon for you. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure hosting you today. And I imagine that a lot of people will get value from this podcast. Uh, I hope they do. That's, that's lovely to hear. And I appreciate you having me. Oh, you're welcome. Take care of yourself. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you.